0: Good morning everyone, how are you guys doing today? We are so, so happy to see you. Um, No matter what we go through, no matter what we face in this life, we can get through anything. God will take us through any situation as long as we stay committed to God and connected to each other. i got to get caught up where my notes are. I messed them up as I was walking up here. committed to God and connected to, you, to each other. Listen, uh, right now is the hardest time to stay connected because we, it seems like we are so uh, staying away and staying home, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm doing the same thing, but remember, we got to stay connected to each other. I thank uh, goodness for Zoom. Thanks, Thank goodness for FaceTime. We can still stay connected. Also, we need to stay committed to God through this time. Hey, we are continuing a series that we're calling Intervention. The idea is that God will sometimes step into our lives as we're headed down a path of destruction in order to disrupt us from the plans that would lead us to a path of destruction. Psalm 37 and 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. I want you to know, as we said before, there's nothing random about your life. The Lord directs your steps, but sometimes we can get off path. Sometimes we can live a life because of this is how it feels, this is the best way to live because this feels right, also we can live a certain way because of culture, we can live a certain way because of, of how we've been influenced or how we've been raised. Proverbs 16 and 25 says, there is a path before each person that seems right but the end is death. You can actually be headed down a path, think you have it right, think that you're hitting on all cylinders and yet. Have it wrong. So what happens a lot of times is when we're headed down a path of destruction, God will step into our lives through different means or through, through through different people in order to save us actually from ourselves. I want to talk to you today. I'm going to talk specifically about how God sends the right people at the right time to say the right things to keep us on path or to help us choose the right course. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today, and thank you so many times for intervening in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us, intervene in areas in our lives today where you need to confront us and change us. In Christ's name, and everybody said, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you look great. Doesn't that feel good? (laughs) Hadn't seen anybody in a while. (laughs) You need a compliment every now and then. Last week, we talked about how God intervenes in And uh, how God will use different means to intervene in our lives. That he loves us so much. Luke, the 15th chapter, is a good example. How Jesus is the good shepherd. That he will leave the 99, as a shepherd, he will leave the 99 sheep and go after the one that is lost. So we see that he puts great emphasis on people that have strayed or people that that need intervention. He goes after the lost. And we specifically talked about how, uh, last week we talked about, how God intervened in the life of David when he was headed down a path of sin. He, he had married Bathsheba and killed her husband and, and he had not repented. So God sent Nathan into his life to point his finger at him and say, you are the man and you have to change. Well, today I want to talk to you about David again. About he was, how he was about to make the greatest mistake of his life. And how God sent the right person, I mean the perfect intervention, by sending the right person at the right time. And I believe that this has to be probably, not only is this one of my favorite stories in the Bible, this is probably one of the best and the greatest interventions in the Bible, how God changed the heart of a king. You also see that that we, we see the power of a woman and a godly wife, how her actions not only saved her and her family, but would one day make her the wife of a king. This story is in 1 Samuel 25 and 1. 1 Samuel 25 and 1. I'm going to read a little bit. You guys can watch it on your screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says, "David David moved down to the wilderness of Maon, and there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. This guy was pretty rich. He had three thousand sheep, a thousand goats, and it was sheep shearing time. Everybody say sheep shearing time three times. One, two, three. Sheep shearing time. Sheep shearing time. She- all right. you get all right? Okay. So it was. That means it's kind of like harvest time if you were a shepherd. It's it's a big celebration. You have a two or three week party, and uh, it's just you bring in lots of resources. So it's a big big celebration time. So it's sheep shearing time. Uh, Nabal was married. To Abigail and she was sensible she was a beautiful woman and uh, fourth verse says when when David learned that Nabal was shearing his sheep he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message to Nabal peace and prosperity to you Nabal your family and everything you own I am told that it is sheep shearing time while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them ask your own men and they will tell you this is true so, would you please be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to David in David's name and they waited for a reply. Listen to what Nabal says Who is this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days. Who run away from their master. Should I take my bread and my water. And my meat that I've slaughtered. from my shears And give it to a band of outlaws. Who come from who knows where. So David's young men probably kind of stared at each other. Thinking this ain't going to go well. It's David. So David's young men returned and told him. What Nabal had said. Get your swords. Was David's reply. As he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off. With David, what 200 remained back to guard the equipment. The 21st verse talks about David's demeanor, his attitude right now. David was saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. A lot of good it did uh, to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. Listen to this. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Why was, what's up with the overreaction? I mean, this guy insulted David, but did the guy really, really deserve to die? I mean, he, I mean, he, all he did is, it's David, but, but he insulted David, and really, here, David Mounts up 400 warriors and they're on their way to his house to kill him and his entire household. What was with the overreaction? I, I propose that that David had reached a breaking point in his life. Have you ever reached a breaking point in your life where you had had, had enough? That's what where David was. That so, uh, Someone had been pushing him. Has someone ever pushed you to a breaking point where you said, That does it. That's it. Enough is enough. I can't stand one more thing to go wrong. One more time. If someone says one more thing to me. If somebody, I I have been abused. I have been insulted. I've been taken for granted. I've been pushed aside. No more. Enough is enough. And then, when somebody does something by mistake, you unleash hell on an innocent bystander. Have you ever done that before? Is it just me? I mean, right in the middle of your worst day at lunch, the waiter forgets your order. Somebody blocks you off in traffic. It should have been, you know, a small, small thing, but it was one of those, oh, no, you didn't moments. It was one of this, one of those today ain't the day kind of day. It was a breaking point, and you might have needed an intervention. I had one of those days a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, working on a house, and I was having a bad day. It was, You know, it was a deal where... I showed up and I didn't have all my tools and I didn't have everything. So I think I'm thinking, well, it's quicker to just go over and pick something up. It's not that expensive than drive back to the house. I get to thinking sometimes how many tools I have that I have had to rebuy because I lose the ones that I have, and I'm frustrated about that, and then the guy that was supposed to show up to help me didn't show up, and then uh, the guy that was supposed to do some work on something else, he didn't show up, and then I go down there, I'm thinking, well, I just, I go into this little farm store over here off of Kickapoo Spur, and I go in there, and, and as I'm approaching, I forget, oh my gosh, it's a new ordinance, so I have to go back to my truck and put my mask on, I don't want to wear a mask, it's like hot breath all day, you know what I'm talking about, so I'm having to deal with that, so I walk in there, and, and the air conditioner is not on, and So I go back there, and lo and behold, the tool, the one thing that I need is not there. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't want to blow the truck. I actually need a six-inch bolt for a wheelbarrow. So I went over there, and they got these little drawers. You know what I'm talking about? Got these little drawers. where you get. So I meticulously go in and spend 10 minutes finding that, and I have a six-inch bolt. That's what I'm leaving there with, a six-inch bolt. So I'm thinking, you know what? It's not a complete blow-it kind of moment. What I'll do is I'll just jet up here, pay for this and uh, get back to work and I won't blow so, ch- so much of my day and then I turn where the registers are and I'm 12th in line literally I'm 12th in line we're all like 6 feet apart and I'm thinking I just have a si- I got a 50 cent bolt you know what I'm saying I just need to pay for this bolt that's all I need to do and there's six people in line and one register and there's like seven registers but one and it seems like every time I go in here there's always a problem. There's always a problem that they have to have management approval. Every single time I'm there, every single register has to have management approval. And I'm thinking, and, and you, well, here's what you got to understand. I would rather do anything than wait in line. When there's a stoplight, I'll take the long way around. I'll drive three or four miles out of the way to not stand in line. When I was first starting out in church, people were like, you know, 20 years ago, Travis, we've got an incredible church. You've got a, a unique message. What we'll do is we'll move to Dallas or we'll move to Los Angeles. And what we'll do, you know, we'll build a mega church. You know what my response is? I don't want to stand in line. People stand in line in big cities. People, people park in line. Everything's, you, you base your life around standing in line when you're in a large city. Maybe that's not the best approach, but but that was me. I just want, I like smaller towns because I don't like standing in line. And the worst possible thing that you can do to me is turn the temperature up and have me stand in line. So I'm standing in line, and I'm looking at all these open registers, and I'm 12th in line. And then on top of that, I got this mask on, and I'm breathing hot air, and there's no air conditioner on. And this guy behind me, he keeps breaking the six-foot line. You know what I'm saying? He keeps, and I don't care about that, but he's breaking the rules, and I'm really getting, you know, he keeps, because I don't want my heels nipped. You know what I'm talking about? With people pushing a basket behind you, nipping, has he ever had your kneel? You know what I'm talking about? He keeps, I, I, and he gets, he's almost getting, finally I'm just going. And he just kind of backs his basket up a little bit. You know, so so finally I've had enough. I've had enough. So I walk up behind this lady at the cash register. Young lady. And I said, uh, excuse me while she's checking. I said, are you not seeing this? Are you, you're not seeing this? this? You know the line's too long if it has to turn left and go out another. It's too long, right? I mean, we're standing. We, we have places to go. And... I noticed that you've got six or seven other registers. Is something wrong with the other six or seven registers? Can, do you mind if I just throw them away since you guys never used them? You you care if I do that? Or, you know, I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. That's what I wanted to do. Okay? Instead, I just walked up there and I said, Ma'am, uh, is there any way you can ask one of the people that are... That's working back with the chickens and the rabbits. They're, no, I didn't say it. I said, is there, any way, is there any way that you could just ask somebody to come up here so the lines? And she said, sure. And she got somebody up there, and I was out in five minutes. But you know why? Why I was really nice because I've hit moments in my life when I wasn't so nice, and I had to go back and apologize and be embarrassed. you got to be careful. And that's why I believe that sometimes God will intervene sometimes in our breaking moments. I believe David was pushed to the limit. Let me back up a little bit and tell you some of his backstory. Now remember David, when he was a teenager, was anointed by Samuel, a prophet. And not long after that, maybe a few years after that, he goes and he visits a war with the Philistines. And you know this story, he kills Goliath. But once he kills Goliath, his whole life changes. He becomes famous. Saul moves him into the kingdom, and once David moves in, he, he's, he's the most popular person in the kingdom. He marries the princess. He marries the king's wife. And all of a sudden, he's doing the king's bidding. He's, he's an incredible warrior. He's undefeated. God is blessing him. But he becomes more famous than the reigning king, Saul. So Saul becomes insecure and jealous to the extent that he wants to kill David. And he tries to kill him a couple of times while he's in his palace. David escapes. He has to escape out his own window. He goes and he has to live like an outlaw for a while. And while he's there, Saul gives away David's wife to another man. So he loses everything for no reason whatsoever. All he's done is fight for Saul and be a good friend to Saul's son, Jonathan. And then if that were not enough... Saul, in two different times, in two different instances, pursues David with an army. David, over time and over a few years, he actually has to join the enemy side for a while. He's living like a a bandit, like an outlaw, and and Saul begins to pursue him with his army. A couple of times, 3,000 soldiers are pursuing David. David has about 600 men. And a couple of times, he's hiding out in the mountains, in the caves. And Saul goes into a cave at one particular time and David's men are standing back says, he's all alone. You can kill him right now and the whole, all of Israel will be subject to you. You can be the king right now. You're supposed to be the king. You got to do this. God has put you in his hands and David would not kill Saul. He says, God forbid that I should become king at the price of killing God's anointed. Two different times he had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't do it. But Saul continued to pursue him. So mix that with all the things that are happening. David is living in the wilderness, running around like an outlaw, raiding the enemy for Israel, still working for King Saul, getting no credit. This is not the time to insult David. This is not the de- a good day in his life. He, this is not the time to offend David. He is reaching his breaking point. And while living near Nabal's flocks, and I'm telling you a little bit of the story, while living near the, she- the sheep and all the goats and everything, he actually, David, actually protects Nabal's, Nabal's flocks. It was a simple request, a very simple request. Right now, in the middle of harvest time, Nabal sends David's, right now, just in the middle of harvest time, as you're being blessed, as you have, you know, it's, it's sheep-shearing time, and you guys are having a three-week party and living it up. Will you just help us just a little bit? Just give us give us your leftover. simple request. And then when he refused him, David was like, okay, I know I'm going to let this guy insult me. I've had enough from King Saul. That's it. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more insults. I'm not giving any more people one more second chance. And then the, the next thing you know, David has strapped on his sword And he has mounted 400 soldiers, fierce, undefeated warriors to unleash hell on Nabal. Can you see that he's transferring a little bit what was happening with Saul on Nabal? Can you see that? That's what's going on. That's why the overreaction. He needed an intervention. And then the rest of the story is like this. Nabal's servant goes to Abigail. And uh, really, if you want to know who really intervened, it's, it's Nabal's servant. If you read the story, he's the one that saved the day. But he goes to Abigail and he says, hey, i paraphrase. Hey, Abby, you remember that guy, that guy David that killed Goliath? yeah I remember him you know he's he's got an army now and he's undefeated and he asked your husband Nabal for a little bit of supplies and not only did Nabal insult him and tell him he was nothing he sent him packing and told him what he could do with his supplies request you better do something quick fast, and in a hurry or something bad about to happen so first Samuel 25 says this is where Uh, Abigail steps in. She says says this, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servant, go ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey, and to a, a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. And this is where David said, he's having this conversation with his men. A lot of good it has done me. I'm going to take out his entire family. 23rd verse says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got down off of her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal, he's a wicked and ill-tempered man. I know that he's a pill. Uh, please don't pay any attention to him he's a fool just as his name suggests she, look look what she says but i never even saw your young man she's saying i would have done something about that Twenty-six verse says now my lord as surely as the lord lives and As you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all of your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Now, as I read the rest of this, I want you to pay attention. As I have told you David's backstory, I want you to pay attention to what she says to him and how she references who he is. And I'll go back to every bit of this, but just pay attention to how she talks to him and how she was the best person to intervene in his life right now. She says this. She says, and here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you. Did she do anything? She didn't do anything. Listen to what she's saying here. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with an everlasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you. Notice she knows what's going on in his life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in your little treasure pouch where you kept your stones. But... The lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all that he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. When your conscience won't have to bear, then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things, uh, Please remember me, your servant. That's just like something a woman would say. 32nd verse says, David replied to Abigail. Praise God. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. I'm not going to kill you or your husband. (laughs) Intervention. That's when God sends the right person at the right time to do and to say the right things to keep us on the right path. Sometimes we forget what we're doing. Sometimes we lose sight of what's most important. Sometimes we lose focus of our purpose. Sometimes we get wrapped up in something. Sometimes we get to a breaking point where we're going to unleash hell and we don't care what anybody says. We don't care what the price is. We don't care who we hurt. We don't care who we leave in the wake of our fury. That's it. But sometimes God won't let us do it. Sometimes God will send the right person at the right time to save us from ourselves. What I want to do today, and this is going to take two weeks. I want to talk to you today about how Abigail was the right person. She was God's perfect intervention. Why Why was she God's perfect intervention? Number one, Abigail acted quickly. She acted quickly. As soon as she found out that David had been offended, she acted. She acted very, very quickly. You know what that says when you act quickly on something like that? It says that This is important. This is important. When you act quickly. You know what? There's no better time than now to save someone. Would you agree with that? Sometimes when somebody sometimes we need to act quickly. A lot of times we hesitate. A lot of times we hold back. A lot of times we're looking for a convenient moment. But sometimes we need to act quickly. And a lot of times when somebody needs an intervention, sometimes that's about saving a life. We need to act now. A few years back, I was swimming at a, at a local uh, college pool, and I was training for this triathlon, and I've never been that good of a swimmer. It's, it's kind of weird that I, ca- I have perfect form, but my body doesn't go through the water. I kind of stay in one place. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's my feet are too small or something. But anyway, I was, I was swimming, but I, I got, what I do have is I got, the good, I got a really good kick turn, you know what I'm saying, where you go to the end. And you go down, and you kick, and you go out. I I can do that. So anyway, I just, uh, you know, I got into, I was about halfway through my swim, and I got into the end, I did this kick turn, and I didn't know it then, but I found out later that the system that releases the chemicals malfunctioned, and instead of being like a time-release thing, while I was in the pool by myself, it released all of the chemicals at one time, and it put a mist over the top of the pool so it was an incredible amount of chlorine all at once if if you can imagine breathing in chlorine but when i came up to take a breath i i sucked in a chlorine mist and when i put my head back down in the water i had to cough two times pool pool you know okay so so i'm thinking all right so we'll try this again went up and got another breath of air and the same thing happened it was all over the pool after i did that three times i was in trouble because i was in the middle of the pool well, I came up splashing and coughing, and the lifeguard runs over, you know, about from here to there, splashing and coughing and kicking, and he goes, sir, do you need help? And I couldn't talk, okay? I was going, you know, the whole nine yards, and he kept saying, sir, do you need help? And I'm sir, do you need help? Sir, and in my mind, I was thinking, if I could speak I would tell you that I'm about to drown out here, and finally, after I I thought I I was going down, I thought it was lights out for Travis. He grabs a long pole at one of those nets and puts puts that out there, and I grab it, and he pulls me in, and I just lay back. and Long story short, I had to go to the doctor; I'd burned my throat and all that. But the deal is, is you know, sometimes if you hesitate, you wait. It's kind of like you know, let me know when you're. I know that you're drowning, but let me know when you're really drowning, and I'll save you. You know what I'm saying? It's a deal, a lot of times we hesitate when somebody needs to be intervened because we're looking for a more convenient time. The Bible says, Abigail wasted no time, enough talk, the clock was ticking, time to act. A lot of times the reason we don't intervene in the lives of people is we're waiting for a more convenient time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let things soften. I'm going to wait till I have a, a better way of conversation. I'm going to wait till things calm down. In Second Corinthians 6 and 2 it says, indeed the right time is now look at your neighbors say now is the time the right time is now today is the day of salvation listen to me there is never a convenient time to have a hard conversation there is never a convenient time to have a hard conversation the, only, the best time to do what needs to be done, it's kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. You know, the, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. Some things have to be done now and to be done quickly. So, so what are we going to do? We're going to do it. We're going to make that phone call. We're going to take her to lunch. We're going to take him to lunch. We're going to reach out. We're going to do that text. We're not going to wait another week to intervene in the lives of people that somebody has called us to. Amen? We're going we're to do it, and we're going to do it now. If you wait until the right time, you will probably always be too late. Stop putting off the interventions that the Holy Spirit is leading you to and do it today. Look at your neighbor and say, do it today. So Abigail was God's perfect intervention because she acted quickly, which says this is important. The second thing is, the reason I think she was a perfect intervention by God is that she was humble, which says you are important. Acting quickly says this is important. Being humble says, you are important. Verse 23 says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Before she said, when she saw David coming up, consider this, 400 men mounted on horses. Abigail <laughs> rides up on her donkey. Probably it says, that, you know, she was beautiful, sensible. All the, She gets off her donkey. Doesn't say it word, She bowed before him. Consider that. That is the very first thing that she did. Humility saves things. Humility is, is a salvation factor. Humility saves relationships. Humility saves marriages. So, so much can be saved. So much can be accomplished in life if we would walk in humility. And that's anti, that's counterculture for us today to walk in humble. you know what you know a, a humble position looks like? You know what, what a humble servant looks like? They actually looks like, like this. Have you ever seen somebody go like that? We've seen it on television. Have you ever been in a position in a relationship where in, when you approach somebody, you went like this? No, we've never had to do anything like that. But it's not humility for us is not a position. It is a disposition that says this. You are more important than I am. Let me say that again. Humility for us is not a position, it is a disposition that says that you are more important than I am. Does that rub us the wrong way? It kind of rubs me the wrong way, to be humble, to work out a relationship. But do you know why it rubs us the wrong way? Pride. That's it. That's why that's why we are not willing to work out relationships. Pride is more important a lot of times than working out relationships in our lives. Pride is more important than our spouse. Pride is sometimes more important than our marriage. We would rather be right than be together. We would rather a lot of times we would rather be right than be united. We would rather be right than to live in peace. Abigail intervened and acted in humility. The first, she didn't show up and, and tell David. David, you don't have a right to do this. The last thing that you want to do if you've offended somebody is God is calling you to intervene in their lives. The last thing that you want to do is show up and start talking about your rights and start talking about justification. Did, did David have a right to do that? No. Was, did Abigail have a right to show up and say you don't have a right? Yes, but you can be right and lose everything. And a lot of times we're working for our rights when we're not working to be together. Talking about her rights wouldn't save the day. It's kind of like walking across the parking lot. Uh, as you walk into Walmart every single day, there's a, like a 50-foot crosswalk. You have a right to walk across there. In fact, cars must stop in order for you to cross. It's, you know, it's, uh, the pedestrian has the right-of-way. But how many of you have walked across, and the car didn't stop? Did you keep walking? I've got the right to walk across here. He's got a dodge ram. You know what I'm saying? You might want to humble yourself and just back up. Yeah, but I have the right. Well, you can be be right and be dead. Right? A lot of times that's what we, we focus so much on our rights. Humility says you are more important than I. Humility says we are more important than me. It's more important than my rights or justification. It is the example that Jesus gave. That we are more important than him. Paul, uh, The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6. He said, rather than fight and do damage to a relationship, he said, why don't you just accept the injustice? Read the scripture. We miss this so much. Rather than fight and and, and cause dissension and break up your marriage or break up your friendship. Hey, it'd be better for you to accept the injustice. Be be wronged and stay married. I, that, I mean, if, if, if you want to always be right and stick up for your rights and you're single, hey, don't get married. I, I apologize for things I don't do wrong all the time. You know why? Because I want to stay married to that woman. Me staying married to her is way more important than me being right. And, that, and, and, and people that, that, that walk in maturity, whether it be marriage, whether it be relationships, whether it be the body of Christ, the union And being united is more important than the right. Us together is more important than than my rights. Plus, in James 4 and 6, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know that when we walk in pride, we are in opposition of God? But when we walk in humility, we walk in the great. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God that when you walk in humility even if somebody else is wrong if you humble yourself and say you know what the relationship is more important than the right the relationship is more important than my cause or whatever when you humble yourself and take a step back and say you this situation you are more important than than me being right or whatever when you walk in humility for the sake of God's purpose you actually experience the favor of God Abigail was perfect for intervention because she acted in humility. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to close with this. There's five more. I could, I could, there's so many more, but I, I, I stopped on, on, on seven. There's five more characteristics of Abigail that made her a godly intervention. And I want to tell you something. I want to be counted on by God when he wants to intervene in somebody's life don't you I want God to use me God uses his kids to intervene in the lives of his kids I don't want to be just a bystander watching people go through life and never affect their lives knowing what I know about the Word of God knowing what I, what, what I know by the Spirit of God I want to be counted on by the Lord when he wants to act in somebody's life. Don't you? Well, I want to tell you something. There's a way to approach people. We talked a little bit about it last week. We talked about it this week. We'll finish it up next week. I have another question for you. Are you willing to let somebody intervene in your life What about you? If if, if you're headed down a path, maybe you're in question about where you should be with God. Are you open to somebody sitting down with you and being receptive? We see Abigail intervening in the life of David, that a path of destruction, hell-bent on committing murder. And yet, when Abigail intervened, yes, she was the perfect intervention. When she intervened, David was receptive. Are you being receptive to what God wants to say to you? Is God speaking to you? If he is, what is he saying? Is he confronting you? I want you to think about that as we pray today. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. And thank you, Lord, for how you've ministered to us. I pray, Lord, that we are receptive to what you want to say. First of all, Lord, in a way that you want to approach us, in a way that you want to intervene in our lives, I pray that we are receptive to it. And second of all, I pray that you can count on us to move quickly and to walk in humility, to intervene in the lives of the people that we love for the sake of your church. Speak to us and grow us in wisdom in this, in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, Today is an incredible time to give your life to Christ. I don't know, maybe it's just us today. But maybe God is dealing with you. Maybe as you're watching us online, God is dealing with you about your walk with him. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you said, Lord, I give you my life. I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. If not, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead us all in a prayer here. And you can pray with us if you're watching us online. Repeat this prayer after me. And today you can come home and you can give your life to Christ. Maybe you can say, Travis, I walked away from God and and God is dealing with me to come home. You can do that too. Just say this prayer with us. Repeat after me, all of us together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today and I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I confess my sins. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for those that have surrendered their lives to you today. I pray, Lord, that you will wrap your arms around them and you will speak to them and help us to realize that today is just the beginning of a new life. We thank you for it and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand in the house today. If you surrendered your life to the Lord today, we think that that is the best decision that you'll ever make. If you will connect with us, you can connect with us through Faith Co. online. You can send us a text or whatever. Let us know. Let us know if you gave your life to Christ. We want to know. It's a very, very important decision. Tell somebody. Tell your friends. It's an incredible decision that you made today. Hey, uh, God bless you guys for being here. Uh, Just a couple of things to let you know. Don't forget that starting next week, uh, we have a brand new service time. That's 10 a.m. We are temporarily going to one service. We're going to put all of our efforts into one service, and there's going to be more chairs. There will be plenty of room for social distancing. uh, that we're going to one service just to put all of our efforts into that and two live worship experiences online. So if you're not here, you can watch us online. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, let me speak a word of blessing on your life. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you next time.